minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
in the AM. Good morning and welcome to 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the uh, NSN app. Friday morning on this June 24th, day 18 in the month of Sivan, the year 5776. It's Erev Shabbos, of course, here at JM in the AM. You heard Lenny Solomon and company, a Shabbat in Liverpool with Lachad Odi. Mordechai Ben David before that off Shabbos with the Werdigers. Brand new single from Ofi Nat, Kimi Tzio. Navremo with Kihir Beisa. You heard Itzik Dadya off of the Sheer double CD. That was Kiva Simcha. Shalshelis Jr., brand new off the Thankful CD. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday with his Erev Shabbos, Parshas Baha'aloscha, outside of Israel, in Israel. We are not reading Baha'aloscha this week. We're reading Shlach.
But for us here, it's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Baaloscha. Candlelighting time at 8.11 on this Erev Shabbos. 8.11. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 70 degrees outside with 72% humidity. Winds in northeast at 7 miles per hour. Mostly sunny today with a high temperature of 81. Then tonight, clear skies, a low of 65. Tomorrow, sunshine, a high temperature, 83 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 89. We're at 70 here in Jersey City, as we say good morning at JM and the AM. A packed morning as usual, especially for Friday. Weekly update is coming up about uh, just over an hour from now. Malcolm Holmline will join us, and we'll talk about the issues of the day. We'll try to get to everything, certainly those stories that we think will affect Israel and the Jewish world, and there are many of those. So we'll speak about all that coming up. Rabbi Yudin at 8.15 with this week's Parsha. Uh, we wrap things up at 9 o'clock, and then Naomi Nachman takes over at jmnam.org with the uh, Incredible Table for Two program. And then all day long on the stream, with your app, with your computer, with your laptop, with your iPad, with every any method you could think of, our call-in line, any method you could think of, you could listen to the Kedem presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix, which goes on from 10 a.m. all the way until candle lighting time. And uh, just enjoy it. It's an amazing way to uh, to get through a Friday, a long era of Shabbos. If you're in your office, your car, your home, you just put on the era of Shabbos music mix. Just hit live on the NahumSiegel.com website and let it roll. Simple as that. Friday morning at 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. Thank you for tuning in to 91.1 FM. 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and of course on the NSN app.
این برامه این لخ به دوستای دنیا خواهی به لیست ما یخ به سنگو خواهی به شوستای ترارارای کلا دستی سنو خسته خوله یوی دهی خوب Don't let it pass you by. 
Brand new Yehuda with Rock Lakaya Mitzvos here at JM the AM. That's his title track. Avramel had Otsar off the brand new Bring the House Down. Avram Fried will be in studio Wednesday here at JM the AM. Yaakov Shweki with Chaval Azman, the Friedman family, and Kol Kadesh. You heard Regesh with Rachem to open up that set on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos. Candle lighting at 8.11. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org, and of course on the NSN app. I thank those of you who are commenting on the NSN app and being in touch with us that way. It's much appreciated. Amazing programming on our stream all day long at jmtheam.org, including the KEDEM presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix. No better way to get through your day in your office, in your car, at your home, wherever you might be throughout the entire day. Just put the stream on and uh, you'll let all the amazing selections roll on an Erev Shabbos all the way until candlelighting time. Check it out. We um, highly recommend using the NSN app for the mobility and the uh, amazing and incredible uh, audio that you'll hear when you listen into it. Mostly sunny with a high temperature of 81. We're at 70 degrees right now. News from Israel, Galay Tzal coming up, and then plenty more, including our weekly update. Galay Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. גלי צהל השעה שתיים, כנהוד גרף עם מה שקורה עכשיו. בריטניה יוצאת לדרך חדשה מחוץ לאיחוד האירופי. אחרי התפטרותו של ראש הממשלה דיוויד קמרון, יריבו הפוליטי בוריס ג'ונסון נשא נאום ניצחון מאופק ופנה אל המצביעים שלא תמכו בעזיבת האיחוד. אני רוצה לדבר אל המיליונים שלא רצו בכך, במיוחד לצעירים שאולי חוששים מבידוד, אבל ההפך נכון. איננו יכולים להפנות גב לאירופה. אנחנו חלק מאירופה. לילדים ולנכדים שלנו ימשיך להיות עתיד נהדר כאירופאים, כך ג'ונסון. סקוטלנד שוקלת צעדיה. זוהי מנהיגת סקוטלנד, ניקולה סטרג'ן, שמודיעה ממשלת סקוטלנד צריכה להיות מעורבת לחלוטין בכל ההחלטות על הצעדים הבאים של ממשלת בריטניה. בסוף השבוע אתקשר עם נציגי מדינות האיחוד ואבהיר להם שסקוטלנד תמכה בהישארות בתוך האיחוד. בירושלים מביעים צער על החלטתו של קמרון להתפטר. כתבתנו אילאיל שחר. השר לביטחון הפנים גלעד ארדן אמר, פרישתו של קמרון עצובה ומצערת, אך מוכיחה שמדובר במנהיג הגון. הוא הפגין ידידות עמוקה לישראל, ורק לאחרונה הוביל החלטה חשובה נגד תנועת ה-BDS בבריטניה. השר יובל שטייניץ אמר, 
ישראל איבדה את אחד מטובי ידידיה ותומכיה באירופה ובעולם כולו. בתקופתו הגיע שיתוף הפעולה המודיעיני בין בריטניה לישראל לשיאים חדשים. וקנצלרית גרמניה, אנגלה מרקל, אומרת לפני דקות אחדות, עלינו לזכור מדוע הייחוד הוקם. היה זה רעיון של שלום. אין לקחת זאת כמובן מאליו. עוד בחדשות, דגלי הגאווה מאתרים את חיפה לרגל מצעד הגאווה התשיעי בעיר הצפונית. בין המשתתפים, אמרי קלמן, ראש אגודת הלהט"ב. אלפים רבים של צועדים, נראה לי המצעד הגדול ביותר שהיה בחיפה, אלפים רבים של אנשים שעומדים מהצד ומצטרפים, חברי כנסת, ראש העיר שנמצאים פה, מצעד מאוד מאוד שמח ומאוד מאוד מאוד מרשים. התחזית חם מאוד. אלה החדשות שעורכת נעמה שוחט. בצוות הילה פרץ והילה מזרחי.
in the AM. Benny Friedman off the Yesh Tikva album with Mamlechus. Come on in. Mordechai Shapiro before that. That was Schar Mitzvah. And you heard Nigun Riku, David Schlusselberg here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Candle lighting at 8.11. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Baal Oscha. 
Uh, yes, it's not Baloscha in Israel. We're still a parsha off Israel and uh, Chutzlaretz, but uh, nonetheless, a um, Erev Shabbos parsha is Baloscha here outside of Israel. Hey, I want to take this. I mentioned earlier that Naomi Nachman is uh, obviously, as uh, many of you know, it's already a tradition, is going to be uh, hosting Table for Two right after JM and the AM. Uh, you can catch the whole thing uh, on NachumSiegel.com. The homepage will have the video of the show. You can uh, listen at uh, the NSN app. Uh, she'll feature Melinda Strauss from KitchenTested.com, Liz Rubin from uh, KosherLikeMe.com, and Esty Berkowitz from PrimetimeParenting.com. They're all going to be part of the show today between 9 and 10. But I want to take this opportunity to wish a Mazel Tov to the Nachman and Sasseni families. Hope I have that pronounced properly. Uh, Naomi and Svi Nachman, who we know for a long, long time, are celebrating the wedding of Simi and Rafi. Simi Nachman and Rafi Sassiani getting married this coming Sunday. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. So a wonderful Nachum Siegel Network Simcha. <laughs> and we say Mazal Tov uh, to everybody, uh, Simi, Rafi, and all the families from all of us here at JM in the AM. Hey, speaking of weddings... I uh, last night I was at the amazing celebration at the Palace in Brooklyn, New York. The Barron family of uh, Flatbush, the Hollander family of Chicago, Illinois, and um, it was just a uh, a wonderful celebration. Mazal tov to the uh, Barron family. Mazal tov to the Hollander family. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hollander. Um, uh, in with um, a whole contingent from Chicago, Illinois, enjoying the big celebration. And the Hollander family, of course, uh, known as tremendous pillars of the community in Chicago and really a, um, a, a tremendous uh, family of leadership in the Jewish world and a, and a wonderful um, association with the Munkach Hasidic group and the Munkach Rebbe. And last night uh, we had the privilege at the wedding of, and the Hassan and Kala had the privilege of having the Munkach Rebbe uh, be Masada Kedushin, preside over the ceremony at the wedding, which was pretty amazing, to say the least. So we say Mazal Tov to the uh, Baron and Hollander families on the beautiful Simcha last night. And uh, as you would imagine, Aaron Teitelbaum and Yisrael Lamb and Shlemy Daskal with an incredible uh, medley uh, that um, was performed right before the Hassan and Kala came in. Uh, at the reception, an, an amazing medley featuring some uh, phenomenal uh, old and new selections uh, arranged by Yisrael Lamb, just brilliant. And uh, the orchestra, as you can imagine, was simply remarkable. So it was great to be part of it, part of the wonderful celebration. And again, we say uh, Mazel Tov, and it was really nice. Uh, the uh, Hollander family uh, have a lot of uh, wonderful friends <laughs> from Chicago. A lot of people came over to me from Chicago who uh, either were listeners or were, um, or were talking about Jewish music uh, over the last uh, a couple of decades. And uh, really nice people, really a wonderful crowd and a beautiful simcha. So mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, candle lighting at 811, 70 degrees, mostly sunny and a high temperature of 81. Our weekly update, Malcolm Holmline coming up. Plenty more happening on a Friday if you keep it right here at JM in the AM.
پیرایش آمد بیار یهودا روحو خود زایست یروشالاییم پیرایش آمد بیار یهودا روحو خود زایست Stay me 
חסנים, חסנים איכו פרסם, וניורים, וניורים, ממשתנגים
J.M. in the A.M. Mim Kamcha done by Baruch Abitan. I told his father the other day, I saw him, I said, uh, we still play that uh, amazing album that Baruch released years ago. Uh, before that, the Mahera done by David Lowy and A.B. Rottenberg. We're going to dedicate that to uh, Sylvie and Benji, who are getting married this coming Sunday. I got a great call this morning from Alan Sapodin out in Englewood, New Jersey. And he told me that uh, Sylvie Sapodin this coming Sunday from Englewood and Benji Goldberg from Highland Park are to be married. So we say Mazal Tov on the upcoming wedding to the Sapodin and uh, Goldberg families from all of us here at JM in the AM. And uh, Alan has always been not just a great friend and supporter of the radio station, he and his family, but uh, always uh, with an amazing positive word about what goes on here every single weekday morning. And boys, I'd appreciate it. So uh, Alan and the entire family, enjoy. This is coming Sunday in New Jersey. Sylvie Sapodin, Benji Goldberg, we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. I mentioned earlier that uh, Naomi Nachman, who is... Uh, our host of Table for Two coming up in under 90 minutes on jmnam.org and on the NSN app. Uh, the Nachman family's got a big simcha this coming Sunday. Uh, Simi Nachman and Rafi Sassieni are going to be married, Bezrat Hashem, in Brooklyn, New York, to Naomi and Svi and to uh, Valerie and Paul Sassieni and the entire extended family. We say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. A big Nachum Siegel Network uh, wedding, I would say, or family, uh, Nachum Siegel Network family wedding, I should say. So we say Mazal Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos Parshas Baloscha, candle lighting at 8.11. We'll do our weekly update coming up. Malcolm Holmline is going to be joining us here at JM in the AM. I, I am... I, uh, I have to take a minute just to acknowledge the passing of the great Heshi Jacob, um, president of Hatzalah, but, but so much more than that. Uh, to those of us on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and I'm ill-equipped really to speak about his brilliant leadership down there because I'm only down there uh, for 26 years, and I mean that seriously. There are people who are there for 40, 50 years plus who could be uh, more descriptive about his role in our wonderful neighborhood. Um, he passed away. The funeral took place yesterday, and he was... Um, President of Hatzalah and uh, always involved, as his entire family always is, in community leadership and doing what possibly can be done for others and taking a leadership role and uh, really taking it to the nth degree. And uh, and this this trait, this incredible ability and quality that he had really extended way beyond the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Uh, he became internationally known for what he and his colleagues did and continued to do with Hatzalah and with um, the community leadership in general. And uh, he will be missed. And to the entire Jacob family and the extended family, our condolences. And uh, he is somebody who will, uh, who will go down as a community leader who got stuff done for a lot of people who needed stuff done. Um, and I just want to take a minute this morning to acknowledge his passing and to extend our condolences and to reiterate how I am no, I am not qualified to uh, 
uh, describe all of his um, sincere work on behalf of the community to you. There are many other people who are able to and who are much closer to him. Uh, but in this forum, I felt it was only appropriate that we remember him on this Friday morning. It is a JM and the AM broadcast. More coming up, including the weekly update with Malcolm Holmline, which is uh, scheduled for just a couple of minutes from now. We will get into the events of this week, and there's a lot of news out there, as you know, much of which will affect Israel and the Jewish world. So we will discuss that coming up here at JM and the AM. And uh, Rabbi Yudin at uh, 8.15 this morning on Parsha's Baalosha, where Parsha off with Israel. In Israel, they're reading Shlach. We're reading Baalosha. Rabbi Yudin will address Baalosha coming up about 8.15 this morning right here at JM and the AM.
Simcha Liner. JM and the AM. I want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com who continue to utilize a whole bunch of great material that we provide on a regular basis for their news feed, which you should check out. If you haven't seen it, check it out. OnlySimchas.com every single day. That's in addition to all their Simcha news, which is pretty amazing. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend us to their readers so that people have something to listen to as they read the thousands of articles on JewishWorldReview.com. We thank them for that. Friday morning broadcast here at JM&AM on this Arab Shabbos Parsha's Baloscha, at least outside of Israel. Candle lighting at 8.11. Yes, in Israel it's Parsha Shlach. But here and in other areas outside of Israel, we're up to Baloscha. 70 degrees, mostly sunny, a high temperature of 81. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, good morning. Nice to speak with you. Your reaction to the Brexit vote, 52 to 48 in Great Britain, to leave the European Union, and subsequently the resignation of Prime Minister David Cameron. So I think we don't know what the real implications are. This is not going to be an immediate step, I believe. I think this is a process that could take years for them to disengage. Even Boris Johnson, who was the leading Brexit advocate, British exit advocate, uh, said that there's no need to rush now. You know, we'll have time to do it in an orderly way. The banks obviously are going to react because they're unsure where the pound will be, which took a real beating uh, immediately. And because all the polls were wrong, it sounds like to Israel, uh, predicting that uh, <laughs> it would go true. down to defeat when, uh, in fact, the margin was was uh, surprising in in many places. The um, you know Cameron's resignation. He was uh, a friend of Israel. Uh, Boris Johnson, I think, is, is known as a, a supportive, and he's a contender, a lead contender. But right. I think Michael Gove would be, who's also very uh, supportive. The implications for the EU. Maybe they they will stop pursuing the French initiative for a while and start focusing on their internal problems and the functioning of the of the body, especially when they meet uh, and we're supposed to, they, they did meet this week to endorse the foreign ministers uh, of the EU, to endorse the French initiative and call for a summit before the end of the year and to move in the direction of, of more imposition than, uh, than discussion and certainly trying to impose some sort of a process. In a week when Abbas, you know, shunned the meeting with uh, David Rivlin, the president of Israel, and made libelous statements, etc. So this certainly is not going to enhance stability. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Putin is, is happy with the result, and there will be others uh, who will look at it on a political level one way, but maybe on an economic level, uh, the disruptions could be could be very difficult. The falling of price of oil again, other implications for international trade. The, the uh, Chinese will have to get involved. The dollar gets too strong. And for American, uh, uh, the, the dollar will now be so strong, so American exports get hit. 
people don't think about all these ramifications. And I'm not an economist. I don't know and don't pretend to know uh, more than I do on this, but I certainly can see the complications that can emerge from it. So there are countries and world leaders observing all this who are gleefully observing what they consider to be increased European instability. Certainly, and, and uh, you know, the, the EU has been challenging uh, Mr. Putin, for instance, over the Ukraine, over other issues, and there were sanctions are coming up again. I think the EU will not have as much of an appetite to engage in those kind of bold moves when they don't know what the future is, because there will be similar measures now introduced in many countries, and you saw the rise of the right-wing parties, the anti-immigration move, the, the, the sentiment on many grounds uh, against crime, against the economic conditions, uh, which could, you know, see. And if, if you remember, I've told for many years that I thought you, the Europe was moving on two plates at one time, one right. towards unity and one towards disunity. Right. And I said it maybe eight, ten years ago, because you saw all the revisionist and, and the, the uh, irredentist movements that have emerged. So this is not something sudden. This is a process, and the, the resentment... Uh, fueled by the older people, whereas younger people really voted very heavily in favor of staying in the EU. Uh, did it make you cringe, as it did I, when the Prime Minister of Great Britain uh, spoke directly, or in some cases indirectly, to the Jewish community about how it would be to Israel's advantage if they stayed in the EU? Did it make you uncomfortable that he was using Israel and the Jewish people essentially as a as a uh, as a prop in the campaign to stay with the EU. Well, I don't like when uh, targeted uh, groups. Period. But in this case, you know, when the margins were so thin that even the Jewish community in Britain, which is voluminous in in its overall, uh, you know, the numbers in, in terms of the total population, and you know, the Muslim population had actually organized in many sectors uh, to to promote staying in the um, in the EU and I think the Jewish community by and large supported that position but there were ads taken out by a group from Israel you know favoring uh, exit and I think that part his comment was a reaction to those ads and those statements uh, you know that they were fueled in part by resentment at Britain's you know demands on Israel and uh, policies uh, regarding the Shtachim, the territories, etc. So I, wasn't, I didn't think what he did was offensive. I think he targeted every segment that he could in order to, to win even uh, a few votes that they thought was going to spell the difference. You saw the Prime Minister this past week. Did he express privately or even publicly, maybe I missed it, uh, what he would have preferred? And now that uh, this vote has taken place, and I know it was just a short time ago that the results have been discovered, uh, or reported, but now that the results are in, has he offered any reaction yet? I spent quite a bit of time with him, and we did not really get into the Brexit. We talked about the potential implications in terms of instability and economic uh, uh, implications generally, and political implications, but no, he did not express a view one way or the other. Um, and uh, as you know, he had a good relationship with uh, Cameron, right. so I think that that you know, is, 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 does not make them happy. Did Israel sort of uh, rely on Great Britain to do its bidding in the EU, to utilize its influence when, you know, different initiatives and proposals came up? At times, they, they you know, they looked to, to many parties in Europe. 
uh, right now it's the East Europeans who are more often the front lines of Bulgaria, Romania, used to be Czech Republic, now maybe it'll come back a little bit. Uh, Poland for a long time was very staunchly pro-Israel, the new government is less so. Uh, so there, there are different times, and, and because many decisions in the EU require unanimity by being able to break off two or three countries, sometimes even one or two countries, can make a huge difference. And um, Britain has at times stood up to, to the issue. But you remember, much of what we've seen, BDS, other things, you know, really in Europe certainly found their beginnings there. The deshelving, the, the other campaigns um, began in Britain. Right. And what I called the poisoning of the elites 10 years ago and saying that Britain was the model for the United States, not France, where it's bottom-up, but top-down, meaning starting amongst the elites and working its way down. And the... Um, you know, the, the uh, Irish government has, has not been pro-Israel, the opposite, and not supportive at all. So at times, the government of Britain has been a, a staunch ally. I think sometimes they join with Merkel to help support it, uh, uh, support Israel and some of the votes in the EU. But I don't know that it was... Uh, consistent, unique role that one could ascribe to them. Well, we now see uh, Brexit-like, and, and, and some people have already come up with some great uh, <laughs> nicknames uh, for these different countries. Will we see Brexit-like campaigns in uh, France, in Germany, Spain, Italy, etc.? Absolutely. Spain, I think, votes in a few weeks, but you're going to see a move by, by the uh, right-wing parties, especially, who will stand to gain from this move, because it, 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 it'll find similar expressions in many countries. I don't know if the margins are there to win, but I think also it puts in stark relief the initiative of which we have been pushing about the Mediterranean initiative that neither is the Middle East a stable region, and now we see that the, the Europe, Europe itself is going through the, this tumultuous period right. that creating an alternative, not to the EU, but as a, a, a relationships that can help stabilize and, and soften some of the economic blows by all the countries. Uh, around the Mediterranean, with Israel as the hub, reaching from Egypt to Morocco to Spain, Greece, Israel, uh, Sicily, uh, Cyprus, um, Malta, many others, Bulgaria, that have expressed interest and talked to us about coming into it. So that may become a, a more attractive uh, idea and initiative than, uh, than it was. And was the vote in Great Britain a referendum on immigration and immigration policy? And, and if yes, will certain countries benefit from the fact, uh, th those who are looking to leave the EU, benefit from the fact that this vote went the way it did? One has to certainly uh, ascribe the outcome and uh, to fear about the immigration, the loss of jobs. The, I mean, there are other factors. People didn't want to see all this money spent on you know, a duplicate parliament, that they have their own parliament, and then they had to pay for the people in the European parliament. There were many things that, that went into it, but certainly I think the immigration issue uh, is loomed very large in this. So for what, I'm sorry. what the implications will be will be hard to tell, but there was a net immigration this year, I think, of 200,000 or 300,000 to Britain, which is not you know, big area. Right. Well, my point is that uh, if in Great Britain it was a referendum to a degree on immigration and it went the way it did, some could already speculate that in other countries, like France, for instance, uh, it, it might even be more of a referendum on immigration. Yes, Marie Le Pen already started it. Right. I mean, so you, you, you're right. You're seeing already the signs of this. 
Um, it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM Dial Broadcasting Live. In the Sony and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org, and on the NSN app. And one other point on this that I think is important to mention, um, and you know this better than anybody else because of your uh, dedication to history, it, this is cyclical, right? I mean, if, if you go through history, especially in the last few hundred years, the the unity and disunity politically of the European continent, is just, it just goes back and forth constantly, right? Oh, sure. It goes in cycles. And people will then see the implications. Uh, there could be another vote. There could be. This is not necessarily binding. Uh, I've heard, according to some interpretations, it's clearly a decisive outcome, and the decision remains the decision. But the um, there are ways around it. They can always have additional um, measures, uh, consideration, and also we'll have to see if if. Uh, if Scotland moves to pull out again, you remember the the vote to to break up Great Britain too. So there are they're going to be after waves and shock waves. Um, my hope is that that this will at least uh, cause some rethinking, and especially vis-a-vis the Middle East, where we're coming to the UN session and the European Union was expected to take the lead in some actions. The French initiative uh, continuing, um, and the. Uh, the, the message that President Rivlin actually gave to the EU Parliament about respecting Israel's considerations, even if they're different uh, than theirs, and, and tells them that negotiations for negotiations' sake will only divide the, uh, and, and diminish the chance of peace e- even more. And also, we're seeing another initiative, by the way, Nahum, which is very serious, as you know, I'm uh, very focused on what happened at UNESCO and the, the yeah. tremendous change and, and damage that was done. Well, there's another meeting coming up of the World Heritage Committee of UNESCO on July 10th to the 20th in, in Turkey. And there, they're going to take up additional holy places to designate. And uh, this is, you know, the PA is driving this. But if you remember the action that they took that, that renamed the Kotel, renamed many of the other uh, of our most sacred places, mm-hmm. uh, Al-Barak's Wall is, uh, is the new name for the Kotel, named for Mohammed's horse, and Kaber Rachel, and right. Marta all of them, including the Harabayat. Well, now there's information that they want to add many more sites, Christian sites, the old city of Hebron, um, um, Qasr al-Yahud, the Marsaba Monastery, I remember was one, another one of those places. And the, the, this body is the one that initially put Western Wall in, uh, in brackets to the Arab term Barak Plaza, and then eventually the Jewish names, the traditional Judeo-Christian names, were removed altogether, and uh, th- th- that was done by the UNESCO Executive Board, and um, uh, that now will take up this uh, additional considerations, and I know people can be dismissive of right. it. And I, I was just gonna, people. I was just gonna say to you that there are gonna be people rolling their eyes and saying, "What's the big deal about this?" Right. So when their grandchildren can't go to any of these places because they were designated during their grandparents' time as only Muslim holy places, I asked the French foreign minister what he's going to answer his grandchildren when they ask him why he abandoned two thousand years of Christian tradition and history. When they, when their when their their sacred text talks about the Temple Mount, talks about the money changers, talking about all those issues, 
and you eradicated all of this. You just wiped off 3,000 years of Jewish history and 2,000 two, uh, 2, years, 3,800 years of Jewish history. And he, uh, you know, he looked at me and he said, well, it doesn't do it. And it was clear he hadn't read it. He didn't know what the implications of this were. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, they had things, they attacked the excavations uh, that are going on, you know, on Harbaya, the, the tunnels, the, your city of David, etc. At the same time, when Israel brought together the, the Arab and Muslim parties to, to be able to uh, do construction in, and around the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and other places. Uh, so now they are inserting phrases accusing Israel as the occupying power and tells about extremist groups ready to storm Al-Aqsa and many false accusations. And this, this takes, uh, uh, creates an historical record the, the countries that sit on the committee, by the way, are Angola, Burkina Faso, Croatia, Cuba, you know, great democracies, Kuwait, Lebanon, Peru, uh, South uh, Tunisia, Turkey, Tanzania, I think South Korea, uh, Zimbabwe. So they're going to pass this, and everybody's going to say, well, so it's another uh, resolution. There are 50 draft resolutions. Only one is political. Guess which one? And... <laughs> They, they talk about high-risk situations like Iraq and Kosovo and all those, and it's just a technical mention. So I hope that maybe the Europeans will, will take a look at this and say maybe God is sending them a message about where their priorities are and the need to, to reconsider what they've been doing. You know, we're going through such uh, a serious and tumultuous times, Nahum, that, that people are not focused uh, the, the Japanese this week came out with a defense study about the growth of ISIS in East Asia. The South Koreans, within a day, uh, warned of ISIS attacks against U.S. bases around the world and about their expanding role. They're, they're in three continents. They have armies in six countries beyond Iraq and Syria. And, and everybody's telling us, well, they're not significant. Sure, they have five, 6,000 guys in Libya. They've got thousands of guys in, in the Sinai. They have people all over in their armies are expanding, they're growing, they're, they're you know, becoming a, a greater threat, and they only need small numbers to carry it out. And yet, what do they focus on? The Jewish heritage of Harabayat, the, the, the demand that Israel consider more, more um, concessions and, and with a partner that doesn't want to negotiate. And at the same time, Iran is, is, is moving ahead on, on so many... Uh, it's just easier to get a consensus on the Israel issue. Well, that, that is true, but convenience is not the answer at a time of such... Oh, of uh, course. And, and you mentioned ISIS, and, and, and that doesn't even include those who are influenced by ISIS, who you know proclaim their uh, allegiance to ISIS, but really have no official membership in ISIS, uh, and who carry that, out that, attacks. Yeah, the Philippines now officially declared their association to terrorists there, but... You have Boko Haram in Nigeria. Right. You have in Afghanistan, in, in Kharasan province, in Yemen, in uh, I mentioned Nigeria, Saudi Arabia, um, the IS there. They they took credit for many attacks, and certainly in Egypt. And uh, you know these presences are growing, and they are a, an increasing um, threat. The one counterbalance right now is that it looks like Israel and Egypt will, uh, Israel and Turkey will. Uh, move ahead this week on uh, on the agreement. Yeah, we'll do, hopefully get to that in a second, or, or more, more than a second. Let me ask you about this Betsy Woodruff story. American aerospace giant Boeing isn't exactly publicizing the fact that it paid a lobbying firm to monitor the nuclear agreement that made its $25 billion sale to Tehran possible, or that Boeing has on its payroll a former top Clinton administration official 
who used this clout to garner support in the corridors of powers for the Iran deal. Thomas Pickering, one of the country's most respected diplomats and a former ambassador to Israel and the U.N., has been quietly taking money from Boeing while vocally supporting the Iran nuclear deal. Does this, in fact, make you even more suspicious about how this deal came to fruition, or this is just politics happening the way it always happens? Well, maybe both. Uh, Pickering's role, uh, as in he was a, uh, a long-term employee of Boeing. Uh, the question of how many people received funding, we know now the Plowshares Foundation, giving money to J Street and many other groups to, to, to lobby. Uh, I think that it, it, it is very disturbing. It's not just, can't be accepted as business as usual when we find out that uh, companies with vested interests we're lobbying as if this was important for the American economy when it was right. important for their economy. <laughs> right. and, uh, and I will tell you honestly, I don't think that this deal with Boeing is going to reach real fruition. You know, there are many deals signed that don't come all the way through. But Which means what? Iran, they never pay the money and they never get the delivery? No, because the banks are going to be reluctant to fund and to, to uh, underwrite this deal. Uh, they, you know that Iran also signed a deal with, with uh, Airbus for a huge quantity of uh, uh, of planes, and they signed an, uh, another deal for regional uh, aircraft. And Boeing uh, wants this deal. They want to, everybody wants to get into the market, and right. there's a sort of loophole that the administration is using because there was, if you remember, when the sanctions earlier uh, adjustments were made, that included car parts and. They said airplane parts because of safety. So under that guise, they were um, allowed. They, they're saying that this is is really you know if you sell enough parts of a Boeing aircraft, you got a plane. So uh, I, I, that this is certainly disturbing. The question of you know how many people were involved, whether they knew about these deals, did the administration make promises and and. Uh, and, and now, as you know, there's a real division in the government between the Treasury Department and the State Department that became public. And, again, did not get complete. got some coverage by some of the sources that tend to uh, expose these things. But there is a real uh, difference emerging. And when uh, Secretary Kerry is seen as advocating to the Europeans to, to, per, to do business, and um, uh, he did this public uh, diplomacy campaign, to get European governments and others and businesses to re-engage with Iran. At the same time, now the Treasury Department went before Congress and said, it's not our policy, and we're not in favor of it, and we're not going to lift any of the sanctions. And the, uh, the, the Iran financial system is still a cesspool. And, and, and what one of the guys said is that anybody who listens to Kerry's advice is taking an enormous risk. And um, that the Treasury is running out of ways to tell it to them. Marco Rubio got a letter from the Treasury Department uh, and Mark Kirk, by the way, that the uh, administration is committed to blocking Iran from the U.S. marketplace, and they, they promised um, that uh, promises that certainly go contrary to what I just said about the State Department's approach. And many people are are saying that uh, you know they're pointing to this uh, initiative by Kerry, which we discussed here many times, uh, as perhaps being misguided, and the, this, this blatant contradiction between two departments and the fact that they're going on record on doing this, even in writing, and the, the criticism at the same time this week, the, um, there's a, you know, a foreign task force that um, deals with uh, money laundering and uh, activities of those kinds, you know, and they voted this week to continue 
to um, uh, blacklist Iran, the Financial Action Task Force, which is um, about 30 years old, that, that deals with money laundering and the financing of terrorism. It has 37 countries, and they were meeting in South Korea, and they decided not to change the status of Iran. They're saying that they're still not trustworthy, and it's still high risk, and therefore they're not changing it. Well, all of these are things that you know we have discussed and was were warned about by those who opposed the deal and about some of the implications. And I think people are, are saying, well, is there a duplicitousness to all of this? But you see it emerge <laughs> yeah. in blatant ways when the two major uh, departments of the government are giving contradictory um, uh, statements to the members of Congress. In, in your assessment, just back to the first part, in your assessment, does Boeing know that there's a good chance that this whole investment and effort on their part may go without any deal going through? Well, of course they do, and they invest all the time in this. But remember, you know, it's such a huge corporation, such a big company, and uh, they are lobbying all the time. They're lobbying foreign governments, and it doesn't get exposed very much, but it should be much more exposed. So they take a risk on the Iran deal, and if they fail, they fail. It's no big deal. They fail, you know. Right. They just build it into the next overhead right. of the... They have huge lobbying uh, uh, capacities, and uh, this is a $25 billion deal, so if you yeah. spend even $100 million on it and it's successful, you, you'd still have a tremendous return. And, the, you know, Pickering is a respected, uh, is respected in the diplomatic right. community. Hey, Mal- hey, Malcolm, this F-35 is one impressive-looking plane, huh? <laughs> so I asked the ambassador yesterday, yeah. who, who was there, uh, Tachyan Negvi, the right. minister, and, you know, he was raving about, you know, know, the experience, and I said, but if it's a stealth plane, how did you see it? So <laughs> he said he saw wheels turning, and he knew something that he could tell from the balloons. Um, but it is very impressive, and we should remember, at a time when... The president is challenging, or is reported to have challenged Israel, the the law, and why the implementation of the law that requires Israel's qualitative military edge to be maintained, and they are challenging the 26 percent of the aid and military aid that Israel gets that is allowed to be spent in Israel, which keeps their you know defense industries alive and and uh, redounds to the benefit of the United States in overwhelming ways demonstrated in the F-35, where the wings are made by Israel Aircraft Industries, the helmets, which are super high-tech, uh, are made by Elbit, other parts contributed by Israel. Certainly the missile defense uh, technology, which became the subject this week of, of a lot of discussion, where the Congress, as you know, wanted to increase to $600 million, administration 140 or so, and the president threatened to veto the bill over that, which was unprecedented. Right. Uh, the... The House, after the president's threat, voted more than two to one uh, in support of the uh, increasing the up push. I think to call it of the amount for Israel on on the, for, for the military uh, program. And then the president tried to juxtapose it between uh, aiding Israel's and and undermining America's uh, missile defense uh, program. And Congress is saying, look, we benefit so much from the technology Israel's developed. It's a joint Israel-U.S. And it benefits America's uh, uh, defense and security, and they use the uh, Domino, uh, uh, Sling technology, David Sling, et cetera, technologies. Um, and when you have Iran now advancing its missile te- uh, 
tests and the development of its missile capacity. You have Hezbollah with over 100,000 missiles. You have Hamas with thousands and thousands of missiles. The need is that much greater, and much of this is to go into procurement, meaning additional uh, facilities, additional units to protect the northern border right. and to protect Israel generally, not just for R&D. Right, that... and Israel does contribute greatly to it, and he is quoted now in Panetta, the former Secretary of Defense, who argued with the president about the moral and uh, uh, and legal obligation to Israel, a legal obligation meaning that it's the law of the land to maintain the QME, uh, qualitative military edge, and uh, uh, argued about what the benefit to the United States is, uh, and, and substantiated what was reported in the Goldberg interview of some time ago, but coming from Panetta, who was there, and, and his substantiation, uh, added to the yeah. discussion this week greatly. Which leads to the next question, of course. Is of any, course. Is anybody else in Israel's neighborhood going to get a hold of the F-35? Well, this is what really led to the president's expressions of frustration because the Saudi deal couldn't be culminated because they had to make sure that nothing was in it that would endanger Israel and then give them more advanced technology than what Israel had or Israel could counter because in case those planes to Saudi Arabia would fall in the wrong hands. Uh, others will buy the F-35. The question is what what they will have. Israel is going to put its own avionics in it. Uh, the planes will be delivered in December, I think, the first two, and then six or seven every year till they get to the, I think, 35 altogether that Israel bought. This is huge, multi-billion dollar deal for Israel. This is the, the next stage, and it's, it's an attack aircraft that has multiple uses, and it can't be detected, and given the skills demonstrated in the past by Israeli pilots, um, I think that they can put them to very good use fighting terrorists and fighting uh, potential dangers. All right, I've got to ask you two more things. First of all, on the Turkey thing, so um, uh, Turkey is willing to uh, advance its normalization, so to speak, with Israel without the lifting of the Gaza siege. Now, I don't believe, of course, there is a Gaza siege, but this is how it was reported, so I'm saying it that way. Um, and you, of course, are, are indicating this is a good sign, that you, you want to see Israel and Turkey getting along as best as possible, right? Well, Turkey and Israel were allies. Unfortunately, Turkey is led by somebody who has uh, very questionable uh, policies, and, and uh, I've met with him now several times on this, and uh, I think it is important to advance it. You know, the people demonstrated that their commitment continued because they increased to, you know, trade with Israel all during this bad period has gone up since the Mavi Mamara uh, incident. And what the conditions that Turkey set was, one, I mean, they were making some other outlandish demands. One was the uh, uh, opening of a non-existent siege. And so now all the aid from Turkey will go unloaded from Ashdod, be taken to, to Israel. They're going to allow them to build a hospital and with Germany an electric plant and some other things. They, Turkey wanted to build a big island and, um, you know, where everything would go through as an addition to Gaza. Uh, that is not part of the deal. The uh, so, so there is Israel pays compensation to some of the Mamarva, Mamara, uh, people who were hurt or killed, and did issue an apology. So those were the three um, major issues, and Turkey on its side had to get rid of the Hamas uh, military people who were operating and using Turkey as a base for their uh, operations, coordinations against Israel and elsewhere. So they made that concession. As you know, that he has reacted to when a terrorist attack involving Israelis, uh, right. uh, President uh, Erdogan went out of his way. Uh, I have to say that when you 
we've had in-depth discussions with him, and so the last one where he tried to convince me Hamas is a resistance organization, a terrorist organization, right. and many other things that we'll have to re- wait for my book uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> later on. <laughs> That's a good chapter. That's a really good chapter. <laughs> well, it has many... It has many um, ins and outs in it, I could say that. Yeah, I mean, back and forth. and uh, Talk about cyclical, right? I mean, <laughs> that is one cyclical chapter. Um, and finally, uh, candidate Herzog, and help me understand this, before the election, meets with the head of the PA and promises, I guess, or, or arranges for some type of concession on pre-67 borders. Is that an accurate way of portraying what happened? Apparently, I, I didn't meet with him, but it was before the story broke, so I couldn't ask him specifically about it. Um, but, you know, this is not unusual in Israel where everybody, uh, you know, is off <laughs> on their own in, in opposition, and uh, even members of their own parties uh, reach out, as, as in Rivlin's case, although that was with the permission of the prime minister to uh, meet with Abbas. The, uh, I, I find much more troubling the language that people in Israel being used, that Abbas simply quoted in his comments right. that Israel's a fascist state. And I, I told him, when you use words like that, and including some of the people who used it, uh, you know, we pay the price too for it. And you will pay the price because they don't need to make any more statements. All they have to say is, look what the Israeli leaders are saying. Yep. If officials of Israel can use a word like fascist and, and other things, well, they said it's fascistic, it's this, it's that. And I told them there's no excuse. There are plenty yep. of other ways you can describe or express your frustration with the political situation. And there is, indeed, yep. frustration about the political situation and things that some of which I found surprising and, and some of which not. Yeah, the BB bashing, huh? Who would have expected this? Right. And then you know, Saudi Arabia talks about changing Arab initiative in order to make it easier for Israel. We see other statements by Arab countries, and then the criticism, the super-criticism, hyper-criticism, comes from, from within. And I, you know, there may be individuals or people who, who behave in, in extremist ways, and you can address that. But to, to label the country or talk about fascistic tendencies, and yeah. uh, these are very dangerous and, and uh, extreme comments. Uh, criticism is legitimate and expressed, but has to be expressed in the right way. And that includes people here, includes people uh, there. And when you have the debates that went on this week, you know, here with the criticisms and uh, with much at stake in terms of the military and other aid that, that goes to Israel, the last thing we need is to have this kind of uh, of clashes. You know, you see in, in Syria today the Iranians, the Syrians, Hezbollah, Russians uh, in conflict with uh, uh, with one another. We see the the, the situation there deteriorating, maybe. Uh, moving into uh, a new phase, perhaps with Iran and Russia facing off over what the future will be, what will happen to Assad, many um, po- possible uh, ramifications and, and different uh, alternative outcomes that, that could happen. And at least the, the last thing we need is that kind of divisiveness within Israeli society. We're not going to do away with the parties and not dealing with saying everybody has to be <coughs> in, uh, in lockstep. But certainly they have to be careful and, and think about the implications uh, of the words. You know that, that Egyptians, Egyptian TV, started running pieces against the, the Palestinians about Gaza, about, you know, uh, in this uh, television series, and have moved against the textbooks, uh, to, uh, including the references to the peace with Israel. And you hear much more complimentary things about Israel 
talking with the Arab leaders than sometimes when you meet with Israelis. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I thank you. We will, uh, I assume, are reconvening next week, right? Why not? God willing, Mashiach isn't here and uh, all goes well. No, I'm just yeah. thinking Fourth of July weekend, but as far as I know, I'm here and uh, you're here and we'll continue this conversation. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful show. But, but make sure the listeners are here. Yeah, the that, listeners better that be. That makes here. a difference. Ah, come on, you know they'd never miss it. Candle lighting time at 8 11 on his Arab Shabbos Parshas Balos. 70 degrees, mostly sunny, a high 81. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Baha'a According to the Chinuch, there are five mitzvos in Parshas Baha'a three positive and two restrictions and interestingly four out of those five mitzvos deal with Pesach Sheni the uh, second chance that the Jewish people were given for those who could not participate in the first Pesach on the 15th of um, Nisan now the parsha begins with one of the uh, very famous Rashi in the Torah whereby you have the juxtaposition the lighting of the menorah at the beginning of Parshas Baaloscha next to the repetition of the gift that the Nisim brought at the occasion of the dedication of the Mikdash and Rashi asks what's the connection and he cites the Tanchuma that says that when Aaron saw that the tribe of Levi was not included in bringing the gifts to the dedication of the Mishkan, Choshadaito, he was depressed, and God wanted to lift up his spirits by saying to him, Aaron, your lighting of the menorah, Shelcha Gidola Mishelohem, your share, your lighting the menorah is even greater than theirs. Now, the question is, how is this to be understood? So the Ramban understands it, that, whoa, it refers not only literally to Aaron lighting the menorah in the Mishkan, and later on his descendants in the Beis Amigdash, but really down the road to alluding to that of Hanukkah that the Aaron, meaning the Kohanim, the Chashmonoi Uvanov, who were Kohanim, would save the day at the time of Hanukkah, and therefore there's an allusion to that at the beginning of the parsha. The Medrash Rabbah has a slightly different um, presentation of this, and says that God consoled Aaron by saying to him, Ligdola Mizu Atomisukan. What you have is even greater than what the Nasiyim had. Why? Hakorbanos Kozman Shabesa Migdash Kayom Heim Nohagim. The offerings, the sacrifices are only as long as the Besa Migdash stood. Avahamanora the Neiros, the menorah, 
this is literally forever. Now, the question is, how do we understand this Medrash? So, the Be'er Yosef, Rav Yosef Salant, Zechat Tzadik Levracha, breathes, I believe, delicious insight into this Medrash. And he says as follows, that the Korbanos and the Menorah stand for two different concepts. The Korbanos were performed outside in the Azara and they represent Yiras Shamayim. They represent literally the fear of heaven. We know this because the Gemara in Baba Basra says that in commenting on why the Torah brought the Jewish people to Yerushalayim in the first and second, fourth and fifth years out of the Shemitah cycle to eat there Maser Sheni the Torah says Leman Tilmad Liyira when you come to Yerushalayim and you see the Kohanim literally in the Azara and you see the Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim you see spirituality before your eyes and this is going to help the individual in their Yiras Shamayim in their fear of heaven and so the Azara outside open to all who were in a state of Tara and purity were able to glean from it greater Yerashamayim fear of heaven the menorah was lit inside in the Heichal in that special sanctuary that only Kohanim entered and Kohanim only entered when they were doing their specific tasks related to the furniture and holy articles in the Heichal so they were there only on Shabbos when the change of the Lechem Aponim was taking place they were there every day when the Ketores, when the incense was offered on the inner Mizbeach, but only one Kohen was there at the time. They were there when the menorah was lit, but once again, that was literally inside. The menorah represents Chochmas HaTorah. The rabbis tell us that the six outer branches all faced the inside symbolizing that all chachma all different forms of knowledge faced the Torah because they all received their foundation it, everything comes from Torah it all science, math, everything stems from Torah as well as within the Torah itself there are six forms of 
understanding the Torah and different aspects of Torah, it all comes together. The menorah symbolizes the light of Torah. And therefore, what Hashem was telling Aaron in terms of consoling him, the first way to understand this is Aaron. When the korbanos are gone, the korbanos are gone. That's it. They no longer have the effect over the Jewish people. The korbanos definitely help the prosperity of the Jewish people. But once the korbanos were gone, that's it. The menorah, which is the source of greater understanding of Torah, this continued way beyond. Because as long as we had the base Hamigdash, the Torah that was studied at that time was enhanced by the presence of the menorah. And this Torah was proliferated literally throughout the world, and we are still studying that Torah. Riptarphon lived at the time of the Beis Amigdash and studied with Rabbi Akiva, who lived afterwards, took it from Riptarphon. And we are all students of Rabbi Akiva today, and therefore when Rashi tells us, and in the name of both the Tanchuma and the Medrash Rabbah, Shelcha Gidolah Mishelohem, yours is more enduring. This is the initial way to understand a very interesting possibility as to what the advantage of the menorah might be over the korbanos, and that is the fact that the menorah represents Torah, eternal, and the korbanos represented the Yerashamayim. Now, Rav Salant in the Be'er Yosef carries this one step beyond. He cites the interesting Gemara in the end of Ta'anis, whereby the Gemara says that unfortunately when Hashem destroyed the Beis HaMikdash, so what happened at that point was that the uh, Misha Chorav Habayis Borishona at the destruction of the first base of Migdash the young Pirchei Kuhuna the young members of the Kohanim had the keys to the Heichal the keys to the sanctuary in their hand they went to the roof of the Heichal and they said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu Ribono Shalolam Master of the Universe because we were not proper keepers of your sanctuary 
Behold, here are the keys. They threw them up, and listen carefully now. A The appearance of a palm came down from Shamayim and took the keys. And then they, the young Kohanim, jumped into the fire that was consuming the Beis Amigdash. What is the incredible symbolism of this Gemara? And the Ver Yosef explains it in the following way. The Gemara in Shabbos 31a teaches in the name of Rabbi Barav Huna that any individual that has Torah but does not have sufficient Yerashamayim, fear of heaven, he might be compared to a treasurer who has the key to the inner vault, but he doesn't have the key to the outside door. How is he going to get to the vault if he doesn't have the outside key? And thus, what you have here is as follows, that once again, the Heichal, which had the Torah, is the inner vault, and the Azora outside, which is where you have the Yira, the fear, as we mentioned earlier, that was to come from the Korbanos, and when, unfortunately, there's a deficiency in the outer, how are you going to get to the inner? And therefore, there's a very powerful lesson that this Gemara is teaching us, namely, that we have to increase our Yiras Shomayim in order to be privileged to get to Torah. And that's what the Pirchei Kahuna were saying. Hashem, take the keys to Torah. Because without Yerashamayim, there really is no value to the Torah. We say it every morning as we begin our prayer. Rashis Chachma Yiras Hashem. This is the last verse in Tilim 111. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of Hashem. This is the prerequisite to all. Every single morning in our prayer, Ava Rabba, we say and we pray to God, Enlighten our eyes in your Torah. Attach our hearts to your commandments. And please unify our hearts to love and to fear your name. Without Yerashamayim, without the fear of heaven, we cannot come to Torah. And fear of heaven, interestingly, can come about by means of, if we only embrace the Mishnah, at the end of the third parak of Avos, of Rabbi Akiva who taught 
that Chaviv Adam, Shinivra B'Selem, if we only recognize the worth of each and every individual who is created in the image of God, if you see godliness in the next person, and that's all around you, you can see God in literally the everyday all about us. This is the prerequisite to coming to the latter part of that Mishnah, Chaviv in Yisrael, in order for us to have our Torah, to appreciate our Torah, in order for us to go with the Torah that we received on Shavuos, there's a prerequisite. There is the Azara that is outside the Heichol. There is the Yerashamayim, which is, precedes the Torah in the Heichol. And that is that second lesson which emerges from the Nesim and Aaron, between the Korbanos and the Menorah. And I pray that we take this lesson and realize, stop, look around, see God in literally everything, in the beauty of nature, in the beauty of man, and as we recognize and see more of Hashem Yisbarach all around us, this enables us through this Yir Hashemayim, as Dovin Melech said so powerfully, Rashis Chachma, we want to come closer to your Torah, the Torah that we embraced on Shavuos, it begins with Yir Hashem. The brilliant insight of the the heir Yosef in the juxtaposition of Menorah and Korbanos. Shabbat Shalom to all.
JM in the AM, Udi Davidi with uh, Yona Matza here at JM in the AM. I want to thank those who have been commenting on our app. We do see the comments. We don't use every comment during the weekly update, but sometimes, in fact, we do. So we encourage everybody to comment on our NSN app and let us know what you're thinking, what you want to tell us as the program goes on. Candle lighting time at 8.11 on this era of Shabbos. 8.11, a lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Mazel Tov going out to Ben Sion Eliyahu Fruchtandler, whose Ufruf is this Shabbos. Uh, ben Sion Eliyahu Fruchtandler, Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. Don't forget that um, we have amazing programming all day long on our stream at jmtheam.org and on the uh, NSN app. Um, Naomi Nachman, who's getting ready for the uh, the big wedding day this Sunday. And a mazel tov again uh, to Simi and her chassan and to Tzvi and Naomi and the extended family from all of us here at JM and the AM. Uh, she'll be up uh, at 9 o'clock this morning with the table for two. And uh, among her guests this morning, uh, Naomi Nachman speaks... There we go. Naomi Nachman speaks with uh, Melinda Strauss from KitchenTested.com, Liz Rubin from KosherLikeMe.com, and Esti Berkowitz from t- PrimetimeParenting.com. Uh, 10 o'clock starts the Arab Shabbos Music Mix with our friends from Kedem presenting it. And the Arab Shabbos Music Mix is an amazing opportunity to hear great Shabbos selections all the way until candlelighting time. No matter where you are, in your office, in your car, uh, at home, uh, no matter where you're going today, make sure to have the Arab Shabbos Music Mix going on the NSN app. You'll thank us for alerting you to it. A great weekend programming, including JM Sunday, this coming Sunday with Matis, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmnam.org. So make sure to check that out on Sunday morning and uh, enjoy. Next week, Avramel, Avram Fried, is expected in studio here at JM in the AM on Wednesday, which will be really cool. Circle Wednesday on your calendar. That will be the 29th of uh, June. And on the 27th, this coming Monday, Yehuda, who's out with the brand new album, is going to join us live via telephone. Yehuda, who has, uh, it's been a while since he's joined us, and it's certainly been a while since he's had a a brand new album. He will uh, be with us this coming Monday live via telephone at JM and the AM, and we'll get to one of his selections in just a moment. Mostly sunny, a high temperature of 81, plenty more coming up. Keep it here between now and 9 o'clock. Here at uh, JM in the AM, and of course beyond nine o'clock at jmnam.org and on the NSN app.
Bring the house down. That is Avram Freed. He'll be with us next week, Wednesday morning, here at JMM. Looking forward. Yehuda, before that, he'll visit us by phone on Monday about the brand new album. That was him off of the brand new. Well, sorry about that. Off the brand new CD. Would be a good idea first to say good Shabbos, wouldn't it? Before we wrap up the show. Time to say good Shabbos. Candle lighting 8 11 on this era of Shabbos. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 8 11 official candle lighting time. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw Spend the day together with the Holy 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listen to sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Naomi Nachman is next. Tune into the NSN app. You can watch the whole thing on the uh, homepage of NachmanSiegel.com. It's called Table for Two, of course. Mazel tov again to Naomi and the entire family on the big simcha coming up on Sunday. Kedem's presentation of the Arab Shabbos music mix starts at 10 a.m. all the way until candlelighting time. Enhance your Arab Shabbos by keeping our stream on all through the day with the incredible Arab Shabbos selections at your home, uh, in your uh, office, in your car, wherever you might be. Monday, we are back starting at 6 a.m. and enjoy all of our great weekend programming as well. Till then, Nachum Sigal reminding you, have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Nachum Sigal reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.